Good morning, family. How are you guys doing today? Man, God is good in this place, and He is present in this place. I'm so grateful for the fact, thank you, buddy. I'm so grateful for the fact that the Lord has overpowered every hardship, every trouble, anything that can come against us in opposition, anything that can come in a form of adversity. The Lord has come and overcome that and now brought us new freedom and rest and peace that is for the here and now. How many look forward to the destiny that the Lord has set before us, the place that he is preparing for us even now, for the freedom and the absolute perfect peace that, is, that awaits us? But my question now is this, do we believe that his power is enough to bring us the rest here and now? In this place, in the condition, in the whatever ailments or whatever limping around that we have now, undisturbed wholeness, complete peace in spirit. No matter what's happening around me or even physically in my body, the power of God in me, his spirit that has made me alive, causes my spirit to remain at rest in all things, at all times. This is God's will for us. This is his intention for us. And, and this is the very reason that he gave himself up on the cross was so that we can experience rest in the here and now and not wait for it, not strive and strain if we can just get to that finish line and then we can be at peace. No, Jesus told his disciples, I give you peace. And I don't do it the way that the world gives it. He said, I give you peace. It's not a, a passing, God bless you, as you say goodbye. No, he said, I give you peace. And then he was put on that cross and he earned the right to literally give us rest now. But how is it, how is it that so often our minds are wrought with struggles and trouble and these things that are constantly causing anxiety and stress in our lives, literally drawing the attention from us. So rather than focusing upon the Lord and what he has done for us and maybe even his will for our lives, we're constantly giving all of our attention into the hardships that we're dealing with. The rest that he died to give us is disturbed. It's not complete. It's not, it's not whole. The world all around us is full of troubles. We know this. I was just, I had multiple conversations this week, which is kind of, um, was confirmation to me as far as the verse that he wants us to open up to. If you want to open up there now, it's John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're just going to read the first three verses of that there. I had multiple conversations this week with people that are dealing with um, an array of different things. Family in crisis and unfuture, uh, unsure of their, their future. What, what is held for that family. I was just talking to, to my mother and she was having a hard time because of so many different family members and friends being recently diagnosed with cancer. So many of us face, facing different kind of um, financial uncertainties. It's all around us. I heard this statistic recently that said 82% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, like week to week. And so if one of those were to go missing, we would, it would be our detriment. Our lives are full of, of trouble 
in stressful circumstances. But Jesus says to us something that I want to read in John chapter 14. And it's this. This is what he's telling his disciples in this moment and telling us this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Let's just say a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us a way, a cure, the antidote for the troubles of this life, for bringing healing and giving us rest now. Thank you for the strength that you give for each new day as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would pierce our hearts with the conviction of your spirit and draw us to a deeper place in you this morning. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Trouble is all, all around us. But he's telling us in this scripture, John 14, what he says, don't allow your hearts to be troubled. It's going to come. The trouble is going to come. And now the decision is, is ours to make. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because if we don't take that action to guard our hearts and remain at his rest, that trouble will come, we will be shaken, and it will affect the way that we think. It will disturb our rest and even cause us to question our identity as sons and daughters of God when it reaches the core of who we are. <clears throat> but the crazy thing about, about trouble that is all around us, this stress that is always all around us, is it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's actually something that we experience in mind and spirit and in our body. Our whole person is affected by stress. They've done multiple studies and research upon stress and the effects that it has on us. And really, a stressful reaction to a situation can actually be a good thing. It helps to focus in our concentration. It heightens our concentration and our, and our performance at times, our reaction but stress is not a condition that we are intended to live in. It's something that helps us to react to a, a surprise situation, an unknown that, uh, that makes itself present. But it's not a condition that we are intended to live with. When we live in a state of stress, our heart becomes troubled. And there's an array of different effects that happen even to us in our body and in our brains, in our minds, when we live in a state of, of stress. Just to give you a few of these, when, we, when we're living in this place of stress, it causes our hearts to beat faster and it, it heightens, increases our blood pressure. It affects our digestive system. It can cause irritable gut syndrome. It can cause weight gain and other problems. It actually damages our immune system, our body's ability to heal itself. When we're stressed, that is impaired, and we don't heal as quickly as our bodies are made to. Stress also speeds up the aging process of cells. So you get older faster if you're stressed more. 
So we need to smile some more <laughs> to keep, keep our youthfulness. It causes fatigue, lack of concentration, and it, it affects the brain chemically, literally causing it over time to shrink. And it impedes our ability to learn and memorize things and even manage stress. So when we're living in stress, it affects our brain and cause it makes us worse at managing stress. And now we get this cycle. So now more stress comes and we manage it more, even, even more poorly. And it's this downward slope. We're stuck. We are absolutely stuck in. And Jesus promises us that trouble is going to be around us. And so it's now, what are we going to do with this? And it's been here since, since Adam and Eve first ate that fruit. The world was not created with trouble at all. This place was created absolutely perfect, without blemish, without a single flaw. But then it was affected and it was ruined by our sin. Because when he, we know that it says in Genesis 2, when he gave the entire world, the entire earth, he gave to us and said, this one tree you're not allowed to have, but go have free reign and, and have dominion over this entire earth. What was the one thing we had to have? One darn tree is all we could look at when he said, don't do it. We had the whole earth to, to roam and wander and enjoy and rule over. And that one tree is all that we could focus on. And as soon as that fruit was eaten, sin entered the world. And as a result of sin, trouble invaded. The, the earth and our living situation became even cursed. And some, here's some of the... the um, things that are listed in Genesis 2 as a result of that sin. Childbirth would be painful. Our marriages would be strained. Our relationships in marriage would be strained. There was harmful vegetation that came upon the earth that wasn't there before. It says thistles and thorns came up as a result of that sin. So hindrances to, to our, our supplies of food. It was by painful work and sweat that we would provide for our sustenance. Before, that wasn't the case. Only after sin did the trouble of work come. And then, of course, death. Trouble entered this world at the, at, at, at the first sin. And this now, it has, it has snowballed to the point where everywhere that we turn, there will be trouble. And Jesus promised, in this world, you will have this. You are going to face this. But he said in the same sentence in John 16, 33, take heart because I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble, but I've overcome the trouble. So come to me and be at rest. He's reminding us. It's all about Jesus. It's not about avoiding trouble because it's impossible to avoid trouble as long as you are alive in this world. It's about how we respond to the trouble when it comes. And this is the very thing that Jesus is, is instructing us about in this verse in John chapter 14. So the context is this, where he is sitting and having his last meal, the last supper as it's called, with his disciples. And the last supper, the conversation and the dialogue that is there is really from John 13, chapter 13 through 17, where he's giving last instructions and counsel and, and conversating with his, with his disciples. And here, this section begins with this. It says, Jesus knew that his hour had come 
and that he had to leave the world and go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And in, these, in the very end, in these final moments, he sat with them, giving them warning, caution of what was going to happen so they would not be taken by surprise, and even instruction on how to manage it, what to do when the trouble comes your way. Here is how you can stop it from affecting your core. It will be all around you. Don't be caught off guard, because I'm telling you now so you will be ready. And he gives him these instructions. After spending three years, though, sharing life in close proximity with, with the men and women that followed him on a daily basis, he calls them together, and they've got this deep bond, and he's loving them. And, and all along the way, he had taught them of the coming kingdom of God. And they anticipated being with him and ruling with him as he took his seat of power. And they gave up everything that they had to follow him. They gave up their career. They gave up everything to be with him. And he gave everything to be with us, as we know. And, and Peter, one of the disciples, even said in, in one place in Matthew 19, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Jesus tells him, for at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive 100 times as much and inherit eternal life. This is the promise that we still maintain to this day from Jesus. But they received that promise from a different light. They had different expectations upon what this was going to look like and how that was going to play out. So they give their life to him. They're spending every day with him for three years, and they're waiting for him to take his seat on the throne and begin to rule the nation and eventually the world. And here now he's sitting with them in this intimate moment over dinner, and he tells them, I'm leaving you, and you can't come where I'm going. Wait, wait, what? I, I, I gave up. I'm here. Like you said, didn't you? I'm leaving you, and you can't come where I'm going. And, oh, and also, when I leave, I'm going to be killed. He told them that he was going to die. This was baffling their mind. What, what is this? Like This is, does not seem to line up with everything you've said for three years. They didn't understand the fullness of it. They were hurt and they were confused and they were troubled. But John 13, 21 is interesting because it shows us that they were not the only ones troubled. It says this, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And he testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus was the one who was about to give himself up to the authorities. He was the one that was about to face false accusations. He was the one that was about to face hate and anger and screaming, sentenced to death and punishment. And on top of it, one of his closest friends sitting at that meal with him was about to betray him to start that whole process of his crucifixion. He was deeply troubled. And that was evident. John writes it in his gospel. He was one of the disciples sitting there and he saw it 
all over Jesus' face. You could see the trouble on him. But nowhere in the scripture is it recorded that any of the disciples sought to give him comfort, sought to reassure him, sought to care for him. It says that when they left the meal and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray in his last hours, they couldn't even stay awake with him and pray. That's how concerned they were for him. But that shows us really just just one example, one side effect of what stress and trouble does to us by causing self-centeredness and causes us to just think about only what concerns ourself. We can't get outside of ourselves any longer. All we can see is our dilemma. This is all that matters. I got to fix this. I'll get to you in a minute, but this is what I'm working through right now. Don't you understand? Look at this. All the world now revolves around our trouble because it's shaken at our core. That's our center. That's not the world center, but we want to make it the world center when we feel that trouble. Trouble doesn't belong in our core because now that becomes our center. There's only one person that belongs at our core. That's Jesus Christ. And when he's there, there's undisturbed rest, undisturbed peace. But man, when this trouble overcomes our heart, it's like a vacuum that sucks all the attention onto ourself. And we can't even think and interact with people on an appropriate basis because this is all we're thinking about, what is overwhelming us. But not in Jesus' case, not for him. That he, he didn't become the center because what he was facing and the trouble that he experienced. Instead, he spent his last hours reassuring and counseling and comforting his disciples. He cared for them so deeply. He's telling them, trouble is about to come your way and crash over you like a wave of the sea, but don't let it touch your heart. It's going to say things to your mind that aren't true. It's going to affect your body. It's going to cause reactions and emotions in you, but don't let it touch your heart. Don't let the trouble shake your core and affect now the way you think of me. Don't let it affect you on this level. This is a lesson that he was trying to teach him really all during his three years with them. And it makes me think of Mark chapter four, where Jesus is with his disciples and they're in the boat traveling together. And he's sound asleep in the stern of the boat. Is this ringing a bell? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this squall, this huge storm comes up and starts tossing the boat. Waves are crashing over the boat and the disciples become fearful for their lives that that was going to be their last night on earth. Meanwhile, Jesus is so peaceful and at rest, he's still sound asleep on that boat. Now, these were professional Uh, these were professional fishermen. A number of these disciples raised on boats. They had been through storms before. They knew how to control that boat. They knew what to do in the time of a storm. So surely they had tried to take measures that needed to be taken to to make sure that they were not going to be overtaken by the waves. But at one point, finally, they came to Jesus. They woke him up and they said, don't you even care if we drown? Do you see what's happening here? But I have to wonder... At what point did they finally realize we need to bring this to Jesus? What point did they finally let go of the ropes, let go of the, of, of the oars and say, okay, it's somebody wake him up. Somebody go let him know what's going on. 
See, for them, it was only once the trouble had reached their hearts and shook them to the core that they said, we need Jesus. We need to cry out to Jesus. And I think this is indicative for a lot of us and the way that we live. We know that Jesus is the answer. We know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We know that he's the solution to our problems. And so when the troubles come, we know that in our mind, it's kind of like we keep it in our back pocket for emergency situations. But for now, I've been trained in this. I grew up in the world. I was raised in this way. I know how to respond to this situation. So let me go about it the way that I've been taught, the way I've seen it done, the way the world does things. Let me go about it. And we try to go about dealing with the trouble. We try to manage our own troubles in our own wisdom, in our own strength, until finally we get to the point. If we get to that point where finally we're desperate, now we'll cry out to God, and then he will rise and speak, and the peace will return. But man, as sons and daughters of the living God, we are not called or intended to live with emotions up and down and up and down. No, the trouble will come in waves. Yes, the trouble will come like this, but you are to remain steadfast and at peace in all circumstances. He doesn't want us to get to the place where, okay, now I'm desperate. Now, Jesus, now help me. Ready? Go. No, no, that's not how it works. At salvation, that's when the ready, go is. And now, peace, rest, undisturbed. Nothing belongs in our heart but Jesus alone. And when he is there, the peace is undisturbed. It's complete and it's whole. We cannot go about in in our new identity as sons and daughters of God, Living the way that the world does when the trouble comes and we try to respond to trouble in a worldly way. We try to manage our trouble. But I'll tell you this, I think the enemy loves when we try to manage our trouble because then he won't overwhelm us with troubles. He'll bring us just enough to take our attention onto the troubles to manage it. Because he knows if there's too much trouble, all of a sudden you're going to be awakened to the fact that you're helpless and you need to go back to your core, Jesus Christ. No, no, no. He doesn't want to do that. He wants just to give you just enough trouble to manage it yourself. Just enough trouble to keep your attention on what is happening in front of you. So you try to manage it. Use your own abilities. Use your own training and experience to manage your troubles instead of having to bring it to Jesus. It's like this inoculation of trouble. Just enough. That's not what Jesus wants for us. We don't manage any of our troubles. As quickly as the trouble we see it coming at us, we turn it to God and say, this belongs to you. I don't have to handle this because you overcame all the troubles of the world. That doesn't belong to me. See, those disciples in the boat, it was their lack of faith that made them vulnerable to fear. And as soon as our faith becomes weakened, now the doors of our heart have become wide open and those troubles can come sweeping in. And that's what Jesus says in John 14, 1. Don't let your, tru- your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe. Believe in God. Believe in me. This is the antidote from the trouble entering our heart. This keeps the doors of our heart shut to the enemy who wants to come in and shake us up. Instead of being troubled, he says, trust me. Instead of being afraid, be faithful. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
We have to believe in Jesus. And believing is, is not something that is passive. It's something that we are deciding, we must decide to do over and over and over again. It's retraining our mind. When I see trouble, how do I do it? Creating new, new habits. Okay, I see trouble coming. What do I do? I believe that Jesus is greater. I see trouble coming. It means I surrender whatever is about to happen to me to Jesus. He's in control, not me. And I accept whatever he brings my way. And in that way, my peace is protected because he has his way. And I have his way, which is peace. It's an action that we have to take. It's not something that will happen passively. Believing requires yielding our will and our own desires to Jesus' desires. Over and above anything that comes at us, we yield, we surrender our will to him. And what is trouble anyway, except all of those things that we don't want for ourselves? We call it trouble if it's unwanted. But when we're looking at Jesus and we say, I surrender to whatever you want, whatever comes my way, I'm trusting that the Lord's will is going to be accomplished. I know that God's purpose is going to be fulfilled through me because I'm looking to him. And I will only accept in my life the things that he brings. And he will see me through every single situation. Believing is trusting in the work of Jesus and being intentional about allowing faith to lead our hearts, to lead our attitudes. 1 Kings 19 tells an interesting story about one of the most well-known prophets of the Old Testament. My son is actually named after, Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is there, and he had just had an overwhelming victory over 400 prophets of the, the evil uh, of, of Baal. Right? He just had this overwhelming victory where they were annihilated, they were wiped out, and moments later, he receives this, this death threat from the queen of Israel who said, by the end of this day, you will, your life will be ended in the same way that their life was ended. And, as, and, and here he was, as soon as he re heard that threat, do you know what he did? He ran for his life in fear. Only moments earlier, he was mocking the prophets of Baal, taunting them even. And then God showed up and they were annihilated right before his eyes. And then the next moment, he receives a threat for his own life and fear sweeps over him and he runs for his life. And this is what it says in verse 3 to 5 of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself continued a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. He said this, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. See, even when we know better, even when God has brought us through crazy trials and, and given us victory, even when we know better, trouble can catch us off guard and cause us to react in fear. No one, no one can, is, is not vulnerable to fear. But this is what Philippians 4, 7, I love this scripture, says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is what guards your heart. This is the thing that we must cling to. Cling to that peace and fight for it. Don't allow your attention to be caught up in the waves around, but focus upon Jesus and holding on to the peace that is in him. And this is how we guard our own heart. This is how we say to those troubles that are coming our way, don't take one step further. I am a son and a daughter of the living God. You don't belong here. I belong to my Savior. But see, when we take our eyes off Jesus and we don't cling on to that peace, our hearts are unguarded. And now we're open to that invasion of the trouble that wants to come and sweep in. But I love God's response when Elijah cries out, God, take my life. Like, I'm done. I've had enough. I can't handle this anymore. Asking God to kill him. If you read further in that chapter, you'll learn what happens. He had, after he had fallen asleep, an angel of the Lord appears to him, taps him on the shoulder, wakes him up, and says, eat. And here was fresh-baked food and drink for him. It says that he ate it. He went back to sleep. Again, the angel appeared and woke him up and said, you don't have enough strength for your journey. Get up and eat. Again, fresh food. And he ate, and he, his strength was restored. When Elijah was crying out in fear and exhaustion and trouble, and his heart had become troubled, before saying a word to him, God appeared and refreshed his body, his mind, and his soul. Before I can even talk to you, Elijah, I need to restore your peace. And when we bring our troubled hearts to Jesus, this is what he will do. He will restore your peace, and then he will see you through the situation. He didn't say a word about what had just happened or even an instruction about what he wanted Elijah to do in the moment. It was just this, son, be at peace. Restore, rest. Let me nourish your spirit. Then we can talk about it. He wants us to remain at that peace. And the truth is, no matter what it is that we're facing, we can maintain our peace and continue to be at rest. This is a condition that we're allowed to live in. The rest that he has given us is for right now. The paradise that is coming, that's for the future. But the rest begins now, if you choose to take hold of it. It's for right now. But when we fail to believe in the name of Jesus, our rest gets interrupted and our hearts become troubled. But there's one other thing that Elijah said in there that I think is kind of interesting. After he asked God to kill him, he says this, I am no better than my ancestors. Isn't that interesting? Does that stand out to anyone else? Elijah had become worn out and in his troubled state, now he begins to doubt his ability to do what God wanted him to do. He begins to doubt his own destiny, and he even doubts his identity. See, his eyes had moved from the God who called him out and given him a new role and a new identity, a new place. His eyes had become off of that God and gone back to his ancestors. I'm just like them. I'm no different. I'm just like the old way. I haven't changed. That's still me. 
in his troubleness of heart, his identity was shaken and he became confused as to who he was. That's the enemy's desire to to trouble our hearts, instill fear, wipe away our faith and cause you to forget that you are a son and daughter of God. And now, if we don't know who we are, we cannot be at rest. You cannot be at peace in your spirit when you're confused as to who you even are. The devil will wreak havoc on us when we forget our place in the family of God, that we have ownership in that place. Each one of you, you are called out by God. You have been brought into this family. This is who you are now. If you want to identify with something, don't identify with your mom and dad. Don't identify with your friends. Don't identify with coworkers or neighbors. Identify with Jesus Christ, the one who has given his all and adopted you into the family. This is who you are. You want to know who, who you are? Look to Jesus. That's who you are. That's our family. This is who you are. It's such a big and vast statement. It's hard to even like grasp that it's hard to conceptualize this, but this is the reality of it. We can say it in these words and ask God, help us to understand more fully what it actually means. But Jesus is in us. My identity is, a, is literally a, a brother, a sister of Christ Jesus and a daughter, a son of God. Jesus' father is your father. There's no different father. There's only one, and he's yours. That's your father. That's who you are. This is our identity. And this, I love this because as Jesus tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Then he deals with this very thing. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When I was reading this, I was reminded of um, my son, Brendan, when he first uh, moved into our house, our foster son. He, would, had, he was barely five years old. Lie, you'll remember this, because when he first came in, this tiny little like, shrimp of a guy with like, this huge curly like afro, and he was so quiet, he was, he was silent. He's kind of like walking around. Like Imagine he was just taken from, from his home, right? So he's kind of like just lost silent, just wandering around. We're showing him around the house, helping him to kind of get a little familiar and acquainted with the rooms and everything. And we showed him the bedroom and he had a bed in Elijah's room. And he was just kind of just taking it all in that first day, maybe even the first couple days. But you know something that was so interesting? He had come in, he was becoming part of the family. This was the initial stages of him becoming part of the family. And you know, on the fourth day after he had moved into the house, I remember Elijah getting so frustrated because Brendan was in the room and, and did something, something happened, and Brendan tries to kick Elijah out of his own room. <laughs> he's like, get out of my room, leave me alone. And Elijah like looks over me, he's like, Dad, can you get rid of this kid? What? He doesn't even entertain the idea of like, get out of my, my, your room. Get the heck out of here. Wait. <laughs> but what I love about this is this, Brendan, in four days, he took ownership of the fact that this was now his new home. This was his family now. And he accepted that. He believed it because we told him it. And he, so he believed it. And he began to live like it immediately. 
But this is where I think so many of us fail. We have a new home. We have a new identity, but we don't take ownership of it. We let it sit there. The fact that we are sons and daughters of God living in this world, but yet not living in the same way that we've been made capable of, is, it, it just reveals that we don't take ownership of our identity. And when we don't take ownership of our identity and we don't practice and act in that, in that identity, we forget that identity. It begins to get dusty. It sits off in the corner. See, I think it's easy for us to believe things that are down the road, that are in the future. Like Jesus said, I prepare a place for you. Like, oh, we know like when our life ends, we'll go to heaven. It's going to be all good. And it's easy to believe that because it, it's way down the road and, and it's not in the here and now. We, we live in the here and now. And it's a whole lot harder to believe something that affects us now. Do you believe it? Because it causes you to think differently. If you really believe it, you think in a new way. If you really believe that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of God, you're going to think in a different way. You're going to have a different attitude. You're going to act differently. It affects you to the core. And he wants us to take hold of our identity. We can be reassured of our destiny by remembering who we belong to. I love this quote by a man named Vance Havner. He says this, We are not citizens of earth trying to make it to heaven. We are citizens of heaven trying to make it through this world. We don't belong here. This is a temporary place, a temporary condition. We are citizens, though. We belong to heaven on our way to that destination that is already ours. We've already, in accepting Christ, we've been born again. And when we've been born again, our Father is God Almighty. Everything that Jesus does always has purpose, very specific and very special purpose. And as he's preparing to leave them and he's given them these instructions, even as he was leaving, it was very with, with purpose. It was only temporary. He was only leaving them in order to fulfill his own purpose. In John 12, 27 is another place where it shows us that Jesus himself was troubled. And it says this in John 12, 27. Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Instead, Father, glorify your name. Jesus, in facing the very moment that he was sent down, facing that crucifixion where he would pay the ultimate price for us, he looked at it in the face and he said to the, to, he said to, to the disciples, what now? Will I, should I ask God to, to take this away from me? This is the whole reason that I came and lived here 33 years on this, on this world. This is the reason that I came. Am I going to ask him to deliver me from this moment? Really? No. No. Instead, Father, have your way. He reaffirmed his commitment. When he saw the trouble coming, he surrendered his will to God and accepted that. He took all the troubles upon himself and in that way removed the troubles from us. So how would we take claim? How would we accept troubles into our lives 
that Jesus has already died to take away. It's like taking something back that he saved us from, trying to wrench it back out of his hands. He took that away. Live free. Be free. Be easy. Be at peace. God is in control. Something, things might hurt once in a while, physically or emotionally or any other way. Things might be confusing. You don't know what the next day holds, but be free because you know who you are. You know where you're going. We know where we're going to end up. Our response to times of trouble should be the same as Jesus. And so instead of saying, God, save me from this hour, end it, bring it to a close, our prayer should be this. God, let your purpose be accomplished in me and may this situation glorify your name. Because if you want it, then I accept it. I am your servant. I am your son. I accept whatever you have for me. There's a story in closing here of, um, there was a National Wildlife Reserve in South Africa. It was called the uh, Palanisburg National Park. And a number of years ago, there was a neighboring national park that the elephant population had grown so much that the reserve was not big enough to maintain all of these elephants. So the Palanisburg uh, Reserve took a bunch of the young, these younger elephants into their own reserve so that they could live there and all of them would survive okay. Well, it was interesting that soon after they arrived, uh, the rangers began to find um, rhinoceroses dead on the property. And at first they thought maybe it was poachers, but they said that that just doesn't seem right because they, their horns were not removed. They couldn't find gunshot wounds or anything on these rhinos. And so they said, we need to figure out what's going on because this, this could be an epidemic, what's happening. So they set up a number of cameras throughout the reserve to figure out what was going on. And wouldn't you know what, what those cameras recorded was this. They showed these groups of young elephants chasing down the rhinos, stomping on them and goring them to death. And it wasn't just the rhinos that they were going after. They were also terrorizing the other wa- wildlife, the other animals on the reserve. So they said, what is going on here? This is not behavior of an elephant. This is not characteristic of an elephant. So they thought, they said, well, elephants live in packs of large families. This is how they normally live. And they just had their family kind of broken up into sections. So maybe this has something to do with it. So what they did is they, they contacted that original park and they brought in some of the older elephants from that park to be with these younger ones and see if that would affect their behavior. Well, sure enough, in just a matter of weeks, the uncharacteristic violent behavior of these elephants stopped altogether. And instead, these young elephants were following around their older mentors. And the way that the article put it was this, that the older elephants, the older elephants that had come, they let these younger ones know that their behaviors were not elephant-like. (laughs) And these young elephants regained their natural demeanor of elephants, calm, gentle, at peace. See, I think in our time in God's church, there's an abundance of unnatural behavior and attitudes among us as believers. Uncharacteristic fear uncharacteristic, troubled hearts, 
and doubt reside in us, in so many of us. We are in need of those mature believers who know the heart of God and are not shaken by trouble. They're not shaken by events happening around them, but they remain at peace. We are in need of mature believers to take their place in the body of Christ and rise up and show others how to live free of troubled hearts, to remain at peace in time, surrounding by a whirlwind of trouble. Peace is still there. To become the eye of the storm that never gets shaken. Family, it's time that we as a people rise up and apply our faith in Christ into the troubles that come our way. It's time that we stop being paralyzed, not moving away from God, but not moving towards him either, frozen. We need to stop this and move according to our faith, taking ownership in our identity as the family of God. This is who we are. This is who he's made us. Do we believe it? Then we need to live it. We need to own it. Don't just look at it. He wants us to take that identity and the ability that he has given us, take it off the rack and begin to wear that. It's your garment. It belongs to you. Don't let let it sit in the closet just with all of the other outfits. This is who you are. This is more than just a garment. It's your identity. Put it on, own it, and let others see the heart of Christ in you. As trouble comes your way and you speak, peace be still, and it stops in its track. This is who we are. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us peace. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to hold on to that peace and guard our hearts. Father, I pray that you, in this way, would cause us to be immune from the troubles of this world that they don't longer, any longer shake our core. They don't define us because we've been defined by you. Cause us to rise up and be who you have made us. Cause us, Lord God, to, to, to take action now according to our belief and not say that we'll do it when you return or do it when, when our time here on this world has ended. But now, today, here, living according to your heart and your will and your way. We love you, Lord Jesus. Uh, this morning, family, um, they're gonna, the team is going to play one more song as we close, and we're going to do communion a little bit different. So rather than bringing it to you uh, to partake, what I'd like to invite you to do is to, when you're ready, come forward and take of the juice and the bread um, and take that with the Lord or um, even together with your family if you'd like. But here's what I want to consider and, and meditate on as you partake in communion today. Christ has taken all the trouble of this world upon himself to give us peace and rest, not so that we would go on living in the old way, but so we would accept the peace and rest as though we are heirs of God Almighty. And so as we take this, we are claiming, we are owning the identity that he has given us. I accept this sacrifice and I take it into me because it has made me new.
This is who I am. Today, claim your inheritance. Own your identity. Believe in the name of Jesus.